Hello, this is Tracy Paso, the host of We Know We Ho, and this is a special edition podcast. Our content is generally about tips on where to eat, shop, and play in West Hollywood and interviews with our local businesses. Today, we want to talk about something that the West Hollywood City Council will be deliberating on in the upcoming November 1st City Council meeting that will have a big impact on the business community and residents of West Hollywood. Joining me today to moderate this conversation is a longtime West Hollywood resident, Keith Kaplan. Keith is one of the founding trustees of the Pandemic Recovery Coalition, a 501c6 organization. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, Tracy. Thank, thank you, you for allowing me to be here today. Oh, thank you so much for um, joining us and, and put, helping to put this group together. I'm really excited. Keith, let's just jump right into things. And can you just tell our listeners what is the Pandemic Recovery Coalition and why did you create it? Certainly. The Pandemic Recovery Coalition is a 501c6 not-for-profit that was organized uh, a few months uh, to advocate against unreasonable regulations and ordinances that were coming down the pike from the West Hollywood City Council. They were creating burdens and, and cost obstacles that threatened the very survival of our local businesses who were already struggling to recover from the losses that they've incurred as a result of nearly two years of the pandemic and all the protest activity that we've had over the past two years that caused closures. Um, it was just too much at the wrong time. And this, this was really about asking the question, why now? And trying to come up with uh, a, a better plan for implementing some of these concepts that, that while our business community, our residents might agree are good, um, it was just too much at the wrong time. Okay, and Keith, there are two ordinances that have already passed. And then we have a third one coming up here on November 1st that city council is discussing, maybe voting on. So let's talk about the two that have already passed and maybe the impact they've had on the businesses just as a review. One is the hotel worker protection ordinance. And the second is the ban on plastic products and food service. Okay. Well, the hotel worker protection ordinance uh, primarily is a worker protection and worker regulation uh, ordinance. In terms of worker protections, many of these things were already in place throughout the hotel community in West Hollywood, panic buttons and, and things of that nature. But the primary concern for our businesses was a regulation of workload that adds really significantly to the labor costs of, of our hotels by restricting the square footage an employee is permitted to clean in an eight hour workday to a very minimal 3,500 square feet. In essence, it means that if, if an employee vacuums a big ballroom, they're done. And it would require that the employer would pay two times their regular rate of pay for all hours worked that day if they were asked to do any more than that. This is coming down the pike when our hotels are recovering from a 17% occupancy rate as a result of the pandemic. We, we were on the gain and then the, the Delta variant hit Occupancy went back down. We're now trending up again. But look, it's, it's anybody's guess what's going to happen in the next six months to a year. We've got the possibility of other variants coming down the line. We've got the state, uh, the county, and the city mandates regarding vaccination cards and uh, masks. So it, it, it's not over yet for these hotels. The challenges are still there. It, it just it feels like this is a little a little bit too much of a burden, too much of an obstacle at this point in time. 
Can I ask something on on the hotel worker protection ordinance? So this that came into effect, the square footage um, piece uh, of the ordinance, is this something that has happened in other places in California, other cities um, in, yeah, in California or across the United States, or is this something that's very specific to West Hollywood? It it has been, uh, it has been put in place in uh, Santa Monica, but not quite as a restrictive uh, a larger square footage. We are the most restrictive. And I think it's important to recognize that when costs go up here um, for our hotels, you know, Santa Monica has the unique allure of the beach. Um, we are surrounded by Los Angeles and Beverly Hills. And as our hotels get more expensive, our competitive situation is quite different. Um, and that is always the problem when uh, we are looking at these ordinances that affect West Hollywood, which is a 1.9 square mile island surrounded by Los Angeles and Beverly Hills. These things make the playing field quite uneven. They make it much more expensive uh, in West Hollywood and going across the street to another hotel is just not that out of reach for, for travelers. Such a, such a great point. And for people that don't know, West Hollywood is, um, even though we're part of the county, uh, part of the county of Los Angeles. We're an incorporated, we're an incorporated city and therefore we have our own uh, ordinances and regulations. Exactly. So we're our own incorporated city. We have our own ordinances and regulations. Therefore, we set our own minimum wage. And that brings us to this conversation that's happening on Monday on this minimum wage ordinance. So, Keith, can you just tell us a little bit uh, more about that and uh, why we're kind of raising the red flag, as it were, uh, for people, residents and businesses to be aware of this conversation that's happening? Absolutely. To give a little background, you know, as of January 1 this year, uh, along with the county, our minimum wage will go from $14 an hour to $15 an hour. Our employers are preparing for that. But West Hollywood is introducing a, a, uh, an ordinance that will raise the minimum wage to $17.64 by July 1st. Now, that is a, a near 30% increase in labor costs within a six month period from December 31st to July 1st. That is difficult to absorb in the best of times. But at the present time, as businesses are struggling to recover from the losses of of the pandemic, from from the losses they've incurred during the protests, you know, many of our restaurants had to close with no notice during protest activity, costing them tens of thousands of dollars in the loss of perishable food items. Um, They've had to spend tens of thousands of dollars, many of our businesses, to qualify for uh, the, the physical, their physical, uh, their physical locations to meet the COVID regulations, whether it's putting up acrylic uh, walls between spaces or or other things, um, they've had to spend money to do this. We've got many businesses still struggling to pay a year of back rent, so to impose a thirty percent labor increase on them now is is egregious. And if you look at the numbers, you know. Uh, we've had we've had several uh, businesses have called us up. We had one business in West Hollywood, and this is not a corporate business. It's one of our local businesses that had their accountant take pen to paper and said that the impact on their business would be close to a million dollars in year one. That's a huge, huge nut to absorb. Mm. And we believe that this is this is going to quite possibly drive businesses either under or motivate them to move to locations just outside of West Hollywood, because what is the benefit 
of, of being here if the playing field is so uneven and you're paying, you know, this kind of differential. The other thing is, you know, it really contradicts a mandate that came down in the past year as a result of the Black Lives Movement matter that we really focus on bringing minority businesses and LGBT businesses into West Hollywood. Because what you've done with, with a mandate like a $17.64 minimum wage, when everyone around us will be at $15, is you put up a wall and you've said, if you want to come to West Hollywood, the risks are greater, the expenses are greater. And that will keep out those, minimum, those, those minority businesses because why would you come here if you can go literally just across the street and operate your business with a 30% lower labor cost? Yeah, boy, it's just going to be a very, very interesting uh, city council meeting on Monday. And Keith, we have brought in five guests today, uh, business owners and uh, a resident to talk to us about this and their thoughts. Really excited to hear their perspective. And without further ado, let's bring in our first guest this morning. So I'd like to welcome Jeff Kulik to the podcast this morning. I've had the opportunity to work with Jeff uh, over the years uh, in a number of, of ways throughout the community. He's been an active and engaged member of our community, and he is a general manager of one of the premier properties in West Hollywood, the London Hotel. The London Hotel has been the site of so many of our major community events over the years. Um, and uh, I'd like Jeff to tell us a little bit about his history here and the history of the London in West Hollywood. Hi, Keith. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. And I have worked in West Hollywood now for 13 years, and I love the city. I love the community. I love all the businesses as well, and just the sense of excitement and um, what the city has to offer for tourists, for travelers. It's, it's a pretty phenomenal place. I started out actually at Mondrian, and I was a regional vice president for that company, and I worked there for six years. And then I was hired uh, when Northwood Investors bought the London and wanted to do some extensive renovations on space that hadn't been developed. So that was back in 2013 and we've added on a screening room. We built a lobby bar. I built an 11,000 square foot suite on top of my roof. We've renovated every place on, at the property since I joined. So every guest room, the pool, um, it's pretty phenomenal here. And we have amazing outdoor space as well. We do a lot of social events, a lot of weddings. And I'm very proud. Our, we are an all-suite hotel, and um, our guests really get to experience a very luxurious uh, product when they get to stay with us. It comes with complimentary breakfast in the morning, and it's just a beautiful hotel. I'm very proud of it and proud of our team and uh, very proud to be a member of this business community. And I'd like to say I've had the good fortune of attending a number of your rooftop events and several events in that suite you speak of. And it is so unique to West Hollywood. It embodies the creativity and the energy that is West Hollywood. Now, Jeff, tell us a little bit about what your experience has been uh, or what you see in terms of travel and tourism uh, coming up for the next uh, couple of years. Because, you know, my belief is it's not over. You know, we've got the city and the state and the, I'm sorry, the state and the county and our city mandate regarding vaccination cards and mask mandates and, and so on and so forth. We've also got the threat of uh, more variants coming at us, especially as people gather for the holidays. It's not over yet. And I think people have the, the 
perhaps incorrect assumption that we're back to business as usual. Well, you're, you're very right, Keith, and we have not recovered. Um, we just recently started having additional volume, additional occupancy, and some businesses starting to come back. But really, the corporate market still really is pretty much um, very hesitant to return to business as usual. Um, although the social business has really picked up for us, it's not quite where we were prior to COVID. And so, gosh, since COVID started back in March of the prior year, we have, we've really struggled and it's really been challenging for us and our team. Um, although we've worked very hard to try to make it as positive of an experience as possible um, as we can based on where we were and at what time we went from an 8% occupancy um, we're, we're back to close to being in the 70s right now, but this hotel used to run close to 90% occupancy, and um, it's just been a struggle. It really has. So what has, you're, you're sort of facing a double whammy of this ordinance goes through the minimum wage ordinance because the hotel ordinance, which was passed a few weeks ago, will also have a significant impact on your bottom line. That's right. um, can you talk a little bit about what that combination could do for profitability, for your ability to hold on to staff, for the ability for them to have the kinds of overtime hours yeah. and things that benefit them? Well, for us financially, it, it really is a very big hit. Um, the minimum wage alone is impacting us by roughly a quarter of a million dollars. And the ordinance is challenging us in ways more than just expense we don't have enough team members here to clean the number of rooms if our business did resume a normal occupancy um, based on cleaning only 3500 square feet so it's a two-fold problem for us because right now the labor market is very tough it's very hard to find people and um it's expensive now. It's going to be incredibly expensive to run a hotel. So it's just, it's, it's, it's not even, it doesn't really even have to do with the majority of the ordinance because a lot of that ordinance about safety and the well-being of the team member, we already covered that. Cal OSHA already covered all of the things, the panic buttons, you know, the safety meetings, the, the effective communication, all the training that we do every year. That's been in place um, for a very long time. The panic buttons recently, but the training and all of that, that's always been in place. So even though it was tacked onto this ordinance, it doesn't matter because it's required by the state of California. So really the, the bulk of this ordinance where it's really um, hitting us is that square footage. And, um, you know, we've never had to clean rooms by square footage before. And in the, I've, I've been in the hospitality industry for 33 years. I've never had to clean rooms by square footage. There's a standard of rooms established based on a normal workday, an eight-hour workday. Um, and typically in a standard hotel that has about a 300-square-foot room, it's roughly 15 rooms. You know, if you look at the union website, the union website allows their housekeepers to clean 14 rooms. So depending on your square footage, you have to do, you have to calculate that out, but it's much less than that. Definitely for us, being that we're all sweet. So now look, and look, yeah, I'm sorry, Keith. Go ahead. 
I was going to say, looking at this, this minimum wage um, increase, you know, one of the things that strikes me is we're, we're so fortunate. And I don't know, Jeff, tell me if you agree with me or not, but we live in a community where uh, the businesses and the residents tend to agree uh, to a great degree on social issues. And we have a kind of compassion and empathy across the business community. I don't think that that our that anyone in our business community, I think they understand living workforce wages. I think the question here is, why now? Why so hard? Why so fast? Yes. Am I right? Yes, because the businesses have not recovered from COVID. We, we're barely getting back on our feet again. And secondly, we're not back at the volume of business that we typically have. So it's really a challenge time for this to all come about. Um, and it's been written into law. So obviously there's nothing that we can do about it at this time. We've already had all of those conversations before about why this wasn't the right time and how this will impact business. It also impacts the housekeepers as well, even though um, I think the city doesn't believe that's the case, but it does because we had, we had incentive programs in place. If we were ever short staffed, we would pay our team members an incentive to clean additional rooms. That all has to go away because if a housekeeper cleans more than 3,500 square feet in an eight hour day, you have to now pay them double time for the entire day, not just for the hours they're working over the standard hours. It's almost like a punishment to the hotel for making your housekeeper right. clean more than that amount of square footage. So very challenging, very difficult. And um, we're facing this taking effect as of January 1st. And what would you like to tell city council uh, as, as they consider this minimum wage increase on Monday night? Well, I think we've all been very vocal with them already. <laughs> um, they understand our position. They understand how this will impact us. We don't understand why we have to be the only city in the United States to have a minimum wage that's beyond the, the standard minimum wage for other cities. You know, so why are we now taking that reign and being the premier city? We're all for paying our team members a good and proper wage. We, we want them to have a wonderful life and live a comfortable life. And, you know, I think that the number of years that our housekeepers have worked here kind of says that that's exactly what's happening already. Um, and, and we're all a team together. So I don't know why the city has this perception that they have to be the number one minimum wage rate in the country. I, I don't know what that's about. And could you maybe enlighten enlighten us and enlighten them about sort of the unique uh, competitive situation you face as a hotel, it, given the structure of our little city being a 1.9 square mile island surrounded by Los Angeles and Beverly Hills, when your costs go up significantly and you've got to raise your rates, where do, what do travelers, how do they respond? Where might they go? Well, Beverly Hills and Hollywood and Los Angeles are all around us. And there's beautiful, wonderful hotels in all of those cities. So we're either having to raise our rates or we're having to eliminate services or cut back on expense in other areas to offset the huge impact of both the ordinance for housekeeping and the minimum wage. You know, from the business community, if they really listen to the businesses that are out there, the smaller businesses, the restaurants, a lot of those business owners are talking about closing because they just simply can't afford it. First of all, they haven't recovered. 
And secondly, they just can't afford it. And um, they need to either close or relocate to a city where this law is not taking effect. So it hurts us because then you don't have all the variety of options to offer. It's going to hurt the residents as well. The residents, they're, they're living in this city. This is a city that's designed for them to have a great lifestyle. And, you know, when you hear the comments coming from this ownership groups, the various ownership groups about the threat of the threat this presents to their business and how they may not survive it, you know, it's going to leave a lot of empty space and um, a lot of our favorite places are, are going to be closing. Jeff and well, Keith, Jeff, I, I'd like to um, ask, and just for people that don't know, because I think a lot of people really don't know, and this is an important point, that TOT tax that our hotels bring in, what percentage of budget does that make up for the city? It's the large, we're the, the, the hotel community is the largest contribution to the city's revenues. And every room that we can't sell because we can't clean it is a hit to the city as well. And they've already had a budget deficit this past year. Obviously COVID has impacted the city dramatically. Of course they haven't made the revenues that they typically make just like we haven't. So we really have to look at the volume of business coming in, what our staffing is and, and what that will allow us to be able to invite into our hotel, you know, so there might come times where we have to restrict the volume because we just can't clean the room. And the last thing I want to do is not meet the guest expectations. We're a luxury hotel. We're charging rates that warrant services. And if I can't provide the service, I, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? I can't book the room. Mm. So that, that is an immediate impact to the city's revenues. And mm. that, that was also presented. And there were calculations done. All of the hotels in the city provided calculations as a group to them of what the potential impact is of business that we might have to turn away because we don't have the staffing to clean the guest rooms uh, with the occupancies that we typically run. Mm -hmm. And they're, if, they're if they lose that TOT and you look at what makes up the city budget, you know, it probably, um, and you guys can help me out here on my civics and the budget, um, that probably will directly impact the residents with uh, a, a tax hike, correct? Well, well, maybe not a tax hike, but it will cut the available for infrastructure improvements and social service programs. Right. You know, and right now, interesting, Tracy, yeah, because we've has had a, to increase the city has social a huge service problem program. right now with homelessness. You know, there's yes. there's money that's dedicated to that. You know, there's you know, the LGBT community and there's the, um, you know, the various programs that help, you know, the runaway teenagers and uh, the, the trans community. And, you know, there's so many different programs that the city has always sponsored. And they have to look at that just like we have to look at our business. The city is a business after all. Yes. And um, what will that do to all those social services for all the residents in the city of West Hollywood? And, you know, the, the time will prove that to be true. And, and the pandemic has only increased the need for many of the social service programs and the budgets needed for social for social service programs in our city. So at a time when the socials, we need more money for social service programs in West Hollywood, the, the tax revenues are declining. Um, That's right. that, that is not sustainable. That's right.
And, you know, anyone can look at the finances. It's public record. It's public information. They can see what the deficit was last year and how much the city missed from a budget perspective because of COVID. So if we're unable to build our occupancies back up, if the volume does truly come back to us at some point, it will. Um, what are we going to do as business owners and, and leadership to provide the services that we need to for our guests? I also, I'm, I'm concerned from a really broad perspective that so much of what has come to define West Hollywood, Tracy, you talk about this, you know, every week on your show, is this energy and this vibrancy and this creativity uh, that exists throughout West Hollywood in our business community, in, in the, the kinds of retail stores, restaurants, the hotel experience, that's a big part of who we are. Hospitality is 26% of our industry in West Hollywood. That is really, really huge. And if we lose that energy and vibrancy because of businesses closing, because of people going to hotels outside of West Hollywood, who would normally come to West Hollywood? I don't know how easy it will ever be to turn that around and, and make West Hollywood sort of the center of entertainment and nightlife that it has been. Right. And also, what about future business? Who was going to want to bring their business here when the minimum wage is the highest in the country? Or if they're wanting to build a hotel, how are they going to clean their rooms? You know, that has to be a part of the calculation and determination of where they're wanting to build their property or where they're wanting to open a business. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. lots of places that we call WeHo adjacent that are just across our borders. Um, That's right. For opportunity. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I am going to give you a plug there at the London. It's one of my favorite places. We, have, we haven't had you as a guest, but I'm telling you, go over to the Boxwood. The, the food there is incredible. The If you need to rent out a screening room, I've been to so many wonderful events in their ballrooms and that rooftop that you built is just amazing. So thank you. Yeah, please go check it out. If you haven't been there, go over and have a drink and, um, you know, check out the London again here in West Hollywood. Thanks, Tracy and Keith. Pleasure talking Thanks, to you. Thanks, Thank you, Jeff. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, Tracy, our next guest is Raj Saniti, the owner and operator of Capital Drugs right here on Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood. Hi, Raj. Hi, Keith. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Raj. Hi. Hello. So, Full disclosure, I am probably a case study for the importance of the local independent pharmacy. And Raj has been my guy over the years, and I cannot tell you how many uh, problems he's solved for me when I've had concerns about drug interactions, when my doctor has failed to supply uh, prescription notifications. Uh, Raj and his team get on the phone and they solve the issues. And as a guy with a, an insurance plan that has a huge deductible, Rob has educated me and uh, made available to me a number of discount programs that have really saved me. So thank you, Raj. That's why we... Um, I want to begin by sort of talking a little bit about uh, the history of capital drugs and your role in the community. And I'm going to just say one thing and then I'm going to hand it over to you, Raj. I know... Um, having been a, an owner and, and resident in West Hollywood now for 35 plus years, Capital Drugs played a pivotal role here in the community uh, as the AIDS epidemic unfolded. 
Um, you were really the guys who provided the, the information and the hope and the guidance that was so important to so many in this community. So, you know, Capital Drugs is, is probably one of the absolute legacy businesses here in West Hollywood and so important to the community. Raj, how long have you been involved with Capital Drugs and how long have your doors been open here in West Hollywood? I've been involved with Capital Drugs since 2015, uh, and uh, it's been about six years now. Uh, Capital Drugs itself has been open and a part of the community for about 30 plus years, close to 35, I believe. Uh, but uh, we are still uh, primarily focused on the HIV and the PrEP, uh, uh, prep patients. Uh, we are always in the lead and forefront of developing treatments for any uh, any new treatments for HIV. Uh, all the local providers and physicians and nonprofit organizations all love us and uh, work with us so that we could help take care of the patients. And Raj, tell me a little bit about your experience with the pandemic. I know you had an annex, the power zone that you actually closed, um, I think as a result of some of the losses you incurred during the, excuse me, during the pandemic. Tell us about what happened to you over the last two years. So because of the pandemic, you know, the gyms have closed down. Patients are not working out uh, in their local facilities that they would. Uh, they more geared towards home uh, gyms and home trainers, which is great. Uh, but uh, what happened to us is that we were uh, a small business that uh, was providing shakes and all the uh, pre-workout, post-workout uh, drinks for the gym uh, people that went to the gym. And then when the gym got notification that they can't be in operation till they find out how to prevent this, that pretty much brought our business to a standstill. So we withstood as much as we can and uh, finally, we had to succumb to the numbers and uh, had to close our doors in uh, January of 2021. 2020, I wrote it out and I made sure my staff was still on, uh, on deck and they appreciated it. Uh, and I tried to do as much as I can, but 2021 was the pivotal step where I had to, we had to make that heartbreaking decision after I think 20 years in the community as a sports nutrition and uh, health uh, protein bar that we had to close down. Wow, so you've already borne some losses as, and the community has as a result of the pandemic. And, sure. and on the, the capital drug side of things, how did the pandemic affect your business over there? So we had to shorten our hours because we couldn't, our foot traffic has decreased 75% our front uh, vitamins and nutritions and alternative medicine where we do homeopathy, herbals, uh, Chinese medicine. Everyone is now uh, shopping online and uh, they are, they, as, as you know, humans are a creature of habit. So when they first like coming in, that's what they do. But once they had to change their lifestyles, now their habits changed, which is ordering online getting it delivered to them. So because of that, our uh, whole volume of front vitamins has decreased. So now I had to shorten our hours. We were open six days a week. We were open seven days a week uh, and the pharmacy was open six days a week and our hours were consistent with what the community needed. But now because of the pandemic, we did, we had to shorten our hours. 
we had to decrease staff. We uh, and uh, we're still there because uh, we 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 love what we do. Uh, the staff and myself are passionate about taking care of the uh, patients. So the business of uh, everything outside of the direct pharmaceuticals has really decreased as people have become more accustomed to online shopping. For sure. So you're, as I understand it, you're in a very unique position with uh, the, this proposal in front of city council for Monday, raising the minimum wage to $17.64. You know, we, we've heard a lot of businesses talking about, wow, why now? Why so fast? Why so abrupt? Tell us a little bit about what it means for capital drugs and why your business model makes it so much more difficult uh, to absorb than perhaps others. So for us, the, there's two factors that are, they play a big role. One is, for instance, the vitamin section. As, a lot, as you heard already that everyone went online and buying online direct. Now, if we have to incur these additional uh, uh, charges, uh, we're going to have to raise prices on that which is going to deteriorate them coming in as it is because they're already shopping online, which is giving them a better price because the overhead is lower. So when our overheads go up, it's going to be direct to consumer at some point. It's going to be trans transferred to them. Uh, that's one issue. And then the second issue is on the pharmaceutical side, we don't have the luxury of changing prices. When an insurance company doesn't really care whether our salaries are higher in California and West Hollywood or compared to Austin, Texas, where the cost of living might be a little different uh, or anywhere else in the U.S. They have a standardized pricing, so they won't change our reimbursements because we have to deal with an overhead charge or overhead change in our business. So we're handcuffed by the insurance companies on how much we're going to get reimbursed, how much we're going to get paid and how much we're going to be able to afford. Now, being said, if this goes up, then our margin to operate gets decreased a lot because now we have, we're working on a very slim model. Uh, so in return, uh, we might have to look at options of moving to a different city. Now, I, I know uh, as an individual, I get so many mailings and emails about uh, moving my business to uh, the direct-to-consumer uh, online pharmacies, and, and insurance companies are really trying to encourage that. How has that impacted your business? So the insurance companies try to push that because then they are eliminating the middleman, which is us, and going direct from their pharmacy uh, and mailing it to you. And we go through that on a daily basis, but as you know, Keith, what, I, what we offer services, as you said, as a, uh, as a patient case, we go and do these one, we talk to the doctors, we talk to the patients, see how we could help you out. When you get a mail order pharmacy, you're not gonna get that, right? They're gonna say, you're gonna get a random person every time, you're gonna get someone that's gonna answer the phone and say, well, it's out in the delivery. Well, you haven't received it yet. Well, well call FedEx, figure, find out why it's not there. And that's the responses you get. And because of that, patients are non-compliant. Their medications aren't delivered on time. Sometimes they're delivered to the wrong addresses. Wrong people sign for it. Numerous different issues that arise. But the problem is CVS and, and uh, uh, Walgreens and Rite Aids, they have contracts with these big insurance companies 
saying that we will give you better rates or we'll work with you so this way we don't have we have a central place that we can fill it from and deliver it uh, that impacts us on a daily basis and we our name to fame is that patient care one-on-one -on -one patient care the challenges you face are incomprehensible to me and how you are still able to maintain the services you provide and keep your doors open i know as an individual i'd be lost without you even right now you know, I'd like to share with everybody. Raj is helping me out in trying to decide which of the COVID boosters I should get. As someone who got the J&J &J booster, Raj and I have been talking for several weeks about whether to go, Moderna or J&J. &J. That's the kind of service you won't get from these other places. Um, Raj, what would you like to, to ask council in regards to this proposed minimum wage increase? I would like council to say, learn the issues of the small businesses, especially through this, uh, when we're just recovering and coming back from the pandemic, listen to the struggles of what we have to go through. And don't, what I would suggest is don't set the market, let the market set itself, let the market decide what the salary should be. But in return, because it's going to be, this is not in a way it's going to be detrimental because if, if we raise the salaries and like with us, like I said, the vitamin side, we raise those prices. Now people that are coming to shop in West Hollywood, they're going to incur those charges. Now what's going to happen is they're going to look at that and say, "Whoa, West Hollywood's expensive. Cost of living is expensive here. Why are we staying here? People are going to move out. People are going to go shop other places, other locations online and businesses are going to close. So in return, what you try to do as a positive thing might come back to be a negative thing. So, let them let the market decide what the appetite is right now especially after this pandemic and you as i understand it capital drugs has another location correct yes we do we have sherman oaks and what what is the difference uh, assuming this uh wage increase goes through won't there be a significant difference between your operating expenses and models in that store versus this store 100 percent over there our because we uh, Sherman Oaks is not uh, like West Hollywood, uh, overheads are a little uh, cheaper. And since there's not going to be a, a salary uh, a salary raise, uh, then we could afford to move the business over there, essentially. So here we have a business uh, that, you know, same exact uh, business in two separate locations. One can be so much more viable, so much more survivable. Um, and it really points out the differences that will be uh, imposed upon West Hollywood businesses by this kind of uh, a minimum wage increase. Raj, do you have anything else you'd like to say? Just, I, I would love for the city to talk to the small businesses, maybe have an understanding of what they're going through, uh, and then make a decision. Hmm. Okay, thank you, Raj. Yeah, Raj, thank you for joining us today. It was such a, a unique perspective from a, a small business. And, you know, I can say as one of our legacy businesses here, it would be a tremendous loss to West Hollywood if we lost capital drugs.
um, you know, that annual health fair that you've had um, pre-pandemic was an incredible way to support the community um, and also your sponsorship of the Creative Business Awards every year um, would certainly be missed. So you would be missed in so many ways um, if Capital Drugs was no longer there in the heart of West Hollywood on Santa Monica Boulevard. Thank you, Tracy. All right, Raj, thank you and um, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. Bye, Raj. Thank you. Yep. Okay, I'm excited to welcome Tara Punzone of uh, Pura Vita and Pura Vita Pizza here uh, today. Um, you know, I, I often said when I had the mic at Chamber Events, when I chaired the Chamber of Commerce, that what happens in West Hollywood doesn't stay in West Hollywood. Uh, said it kind of jokingly, but but true, because there's so many creative concepts and businesses that have incubated here and spread out uh, to other cities, to other states. And Tara is one of those kinds of businesses. She had a dream to open a, a, a restaurant concept here that really fit uh, with the, uh, the social consciousness of our community. And she opened quite an incredible restaurant called Pura Vida. And uh, Tracy, I know you and Tara have a history, so why don't you take it from here? Welcome, Tara, to the show. Uh, so good to have you. You know, you really are, when I talk about the quintessential small business owner, you are that in West Hollywood. And I was there side by side with you <laughs> through the process, because uh, at the time I was at the chamber and you're located right next to the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce there. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it was I was so inspired by you as we got to know you and learn your story and you were this incredible notable chef and it was your dream you know to open a, a, a restaurant and you selected West Hollywood congratulations on that that is no easy feat uh, you have been an, you were an early guest actually on We Know WeHo that was that was a fun interview with you <laughs> Yes, right smack in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right smack in the middle of the pandemic. Well, that's why we started the podcast. Um, so Pura Vita opened its doors in September of 2018. And then just barely after one year of celebrating, the pandemic hit. And at the same time, you were already in full build um, because you would acquire the space next door for your continued vision. And you opened your second business, Pura Vita Pizzeria, two months into the pandemic. We sure did. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. And now you have a third location in Redondo Beach. Um, so that's a little plug for Pura Vida. Uh, it's incredible. And Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're super busy as a chef owner there. And I know you'll probably have a glass of Lambrusco, our favorite, after we finish this talk. But let's get... <laughs> Let's just give a quick little overview. I mean, you barely opened your doors. Just tell us a little bit how the pandemic impacted your business financially. Oh, man, it's hard to uh, pinpoint just a, a few things because it's really just, uh, you know, every aspect of the business has been impacted. Um, obviously, the whole world was impacted on the level of, you know, being a fearful and wanting to keep people and themselves safe and their families safe. Um, and part of what we do at Pura Vida and part of, you know, my mission is to share uh, healthy food, organic, you know, plant-based food with my community. So as, as having that as my responsibility, especially during a pandemic, which is obviously the most challenging time having been closed, I had to push through and continue to offer healthy options for the community so that they 
you know, felt that they had that choice uh, and they didn't have to go too far and we kept it super safe. And I was supported 100% by West Hollywood and the people in it. I mean, it was just from the city allowing us to have the outdoor space to the community coming in and, you know, buying their food every day, their wine, everything that they would normally buy and just having a good attitude about it. It taught me a lot. It was very humbling. But the reality of it is that we really did our best to keep all of our staff involved and working. Um, my staff is small, uh, but they are family and I can't do any of this without them. So it's super important that I keep them happy. Um, but that's a very difficult thing to do when you're closed. <laughs> mm. So that was an issue um, that we managed to get through. And then the second you know, chapter of this whole story is that now all of the ingredients and all of the, you know, the small wares and everything, either you can't get them at all because there's just no supply whatsoever of anything, or you can find it, but it's three to four times more expensive than it originally was when we first opened. So now we're dealing with that issue where we're either out of everything or we're paying quadruple the price. Um, which is already, you know, putting us in financially a very, very difficult position. You know, on that thought, Tara, I, I know that the city has just passed the uh, the single-use plastics ban requiring you to source uh, alternatives for that. I, you know, we've discussed uh, in, in groups how difficult this will be, both in terms of your finding sources and because of the delays that port, the delays in getting product in, uh, getting the stuff in and in the time frame set by council and the costs that, uh, will, the, that will add to your bottom line are pretty incredible, correct? Well, to be 100% transparent, we already use all environmentally friendly green smallwares. Fantastic. We don't use any plastic. So, and we never have since we start, since we opened. Continuing to get those items has been a challenge and, and they are more expensive, but we have never used plastic for any of the, uh, you know, take out stuff that we have. So that really personally hasn't impacted my business because we were already following through with that protocol. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about it, even though the city has allowed outdoor spaces to continue and the state has allowed liquor to go to continue, which I'm grateful side note for you, because I love your Lambrusco, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tara, tell us now how this proposed minimum wage increase. I mean, I, we can already feel it, but just tell us, like, honestly, it's going to how is it going to impact you? Um. God, it's like really difficult to talk about because it actually makes me feel very emotional. But basically, you know, to, to just to give you a little history about myself, um, I had this dream since I was a little girl to open a restaurant. Now, I'm from New York, so always assumed that this dream would take place in New York. Um, but a few years ago, I moved to West Hollywood and never thought for a minute I would stay, but I felt so embraced by the city of West Hollywood and I felt so at home in this community. There's people from all walks of life. It's really just an amazing community of acceptance and, and inclusivity. And it's just <clears throat> separates itself from all the other parts of Los Angeles, as far as I'm concerned, in a positive way. 
And so I chose to move forward with my dream here in the city because of those reasons. And the reality is, you know, we're, it's just me and my partner. It's our money. It's our hard work. We worked our fingers to the bone. Our blood, sweat, and tears is in the wood grain of that bar. We don't have financial backing. We don't have anybody helping us. Um, And it truly is a small business. And I'm not the best at math, so I'm not going to provide you with a bunch of percentages. But what I can tell you is that the basic math that I've done uh, with this increase is going to put us over $200,000 a year more just in wages, which we don't make. (laughs) So just that alone, forget about the taxes and the workers comp and forget about the vacation slash sick pay. That'll just, that's just like the icing on the cake because there's absolutely no way we could ever survive. We're not going to survive. It's just not possible for us to survive unless we start charging $35 for a bowl of spaghetti, which I don't want to do. That doesn't make any sense. And to be well, clear, and, and, I, want to be, I want to be super clear that our the only employees who are making minimum wage currently are the tipped employees. And to be clear, those tipped employees make anywhere between $250 and $400 a night, which is wow. exceedingly more than I have ever made in my life. So if you know, they think that they're helping those people, then they're absolutely off base. And my back of the house staff already all makes more than $18 an hour. There's not a single person in the back of the house because I am back of the house. So, of course, I can tell you that is a very personal decision. No, none of them make minimum wage. So it's not helping anybody that they think they're trying to help. And, then, and let me ask this in terms of from wearing your hat as an owner manager, when you have an increase like this, you would not sacrifice the front of the house. If cuts had to be made, would those cuts come in the back of the house? Could there be job losses? There will 100% be job losses. Um, there's no way that we'll be able to sustain. I mean, we would have to get rid of we could potentially even not even be able to have full a full service restaurant, which is I never wanted to have a, a counter service wine bar and pasta restaurant. That's not what I was trying to provide to the right. community. So at some point you have to just, you know, make a decision like what's more important. Do I cut half the staff and have a new business model that really doesn't make any sense for what my vision was? Or do I just move someplace outside of West Hollywood? which is not what I want to do either. But those are the choices, you know, basically. And I think there's also, I, I think council perhaps is not recognizing the fact that, you know, this this isn't over yet, that we've got the state, the county, and the city mandates about vaccination cards and, and masks. Uh, we've got variants, uh, the Delta Plus variant rose its head last week with everyone moving inside for holiday celebrations. It's quite possible we'll see another variant hitting us. We're not back to business as usual. Are you feeling that you're back to business as usual? Oh, of course not. I mean, yes, everybody's coming out and, and you know, it's it feels a little bit safer, but it's like an illusion because this has happened, how many times already? Three times. It's been an up and a down, an up and a down. And people start getting free. And then as soon as they start getting free, they get sick. So this is just a pattern, you know, it's a roller coaster. We have no idea where it's going to end up. 
I personally don't think this is something that is ever going to go truly away. We'll just learn how to live with it much better. Um, but it, it's it's caused so it's caused so much to come to the surface of of so many different things. You know, many people are are you know they don't want to work in the service industry anymore because it is. Uh, not particularly in, in my restaurant because I managed to keep my entire original staff, which thank God, but which also speaks volumes to having it have nothing to do with what the minimum wage is or right. <laughs> anything else. It's about, you know, it's about family. It's about how you treat people and it's about respect. And I, I just can't imagine how any smaller business restaurant or otherwise is going to be able to sustain this fast of an increase because it's like raise it to 16 in july okay we can maybe we can wrap our heads around that but to raise it to basically 18 and then with all the taxes and everything that comes with it and to me the worst part of the whole thing is 96 hours of vacation pay i don't get that not the kind of business that you can like give somebody uh, okay you're sick for two weeks we're going to pay you but in the meantime we have to bring somebody else in to do your position right. because it can't wait. It needs to happen every single day. <laughs> so then we're paying double at that point. Wow. I, I think too, that there's a lack of understanding that in addition to the, the, the loss of business, not as many customers over the past two years, almost that you've had to incur some significant costs in terms of uh, operational changes and, and changes to your physical uh, space to make it uh, meet COVID guidelines. Um, I think there's been a significant, and, and the, the, the cost of perishables you've lost when you've had immediate closures. You've already got the food in the freezer. You had to board up and close for a period of time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, obviously there was a, several periods of time where we were only open for takeout and, and delivery, which is not the business model that I had set up originally, but we adapted as fast as we could. But when those decisions are made overnight and with no real warning, yeah, when you're prepared to have a restaurant full of people and then suddenly you're not allowed to have that, all of that food goes in the garbage. It's, it's prepped, it's paid for, and it's going straight into the dumpster. And there's no, there's no good feelings about that in either direction, whether it be financially or just wastefully. And and the building of all the, and, and, the, and the, you know, the plastic dividers and all of the, of the equipment that we have to provide now. I mean, it's just been a huge financial burden. And like you just said, it's not over. It's not over. We're still dealing with it. It's, it could go back in the other direction at any point. And, and we're talking into the tens of thousands of dollars of those kinds of expenses you've had to incur over the past two years, correct? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, it's been wild. And you know, I think too have survived it. And I think too, what what people don't recognize in terms of your vision and your business model, you know, your values, what you bring to West Hollywood was it's such synchronicity with with West Hollywood values. And and I'm probably a case in point, but it's more than just that you provide incredible food and and this incredible pizza that frankly has become a staple in our house as my partner has become lactose intolerant. But you taught me. <laughs> You've taught me about uh, the value of, of, of vegan food and you've taught me about the sustainability and, and how we can really eat better to meet those kinds of, of goals. 
it's a different way of life and a different way of eating. And, and I think part of what you bring with your concept is the ability to teach that to people. Thank you. That's definitely, um, that's an enormous compliment because that is, uh, you know, a, a big part of my goal, um, just in life in general. Um, and now I had, you know, I have the opportunity to share that with people in the community that I feel so, you know, close with. And it's really heartbreaking to just think that that might all be basically, you know, ripped out from under me. It's really heartbreaking. Well, we, we, we are big fans of Pura Vida and Pura Vida Pizza and know that we are with you and fighting with you. And uh, we hope that uh, we will open council's eyes to see that while, while nobody objects to the idea of livable uh, workforce wages, it really is at this moment in time, just a matter of how fast, how high, and why now. Correct. Yeah, Tara, thank you so much for your time and for joining us. Um, it was such an important piece of the conversation. Um, for anyone out there who has not been to Pura Vida or the pizzeria next door, please go down and check it out. Um, if you're a Zeppole fan, they are serving those <laughs> with Nutella. <laughs> and if you don't know what those are, check out the Instagram. They are delicious. And my mouth is just watering because all the food there is super delicious. And as a Juan aficionado, Tara, personally, curates uh, a beautiful, beautiful, also vegan organic um, wineless there at Pura Vida. So um, please pop in and say hi to Tara and uh, help support our local businesses however you can. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate being included in this conversation. It's, um, it's a really important one. All right. Thank, thank you, Tara. Thank you, my friend. I'll see you soon. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay, our next guest is Alan Strasberg. And frankly, every community should have an Alan Strasberg, someone who uh, is open and involved and engaged and cares about the community. Alan is a West Hollywood resident. He's been very active in the community. He has uh, been at the helm of many not-for-profits. And he has agreed to talk to us a little bit today about uh, his perspective on how this uh, really abrupt uh, and, and, and massive minimum wage increase uh, might affect our city, businesses, and residents. So, Alan, take it away. Thanks, Keith, and thanks for having me. So, yes, I think you used two very good uh, words, abrupt and uh, gigantic. I think you used the word gigantic. They're both uh, uh, appropriate words. I think that this is something, like many things before the council, needs to be timely, it needs to be thought out, and it needs to be to find consensus with all of the stakeholders. And we're all stakeholders in this, whether we are residents, business owners, people who run businesses, consumers, um, workers in the city, we're all stakeholders in this. And, and this is one in particular that's going to have ramifications beyond West Hollywood. We are an isolated area of 1.9 square miles and 36,000 residents surrounded on four sides by other municipalities. And these things need to be done regionally in my approach. Many of these things need to be done regionally, but particularly this one, because we have a service economy where people have choices to go elsewhere. And if we raise the cost of doing business here without an equitable raise across the region, we're going to suffer. Our businesses are going to suffer and we are going to be suffer, suffer as consumers. So I'd like us as West Hollywood to be a more of a partner with the business community, with all stakeholders, and with the region on, on these issues, it's particularly this 
a very big economic issue. Now, Alan, and you know, when we've spoken over the years, you described yourself as a, I believe it was pragmatic progressive. And I loved that uh, defining term because I think it speaks to what so many of us in West Hollywood are. You know, we care about um, the social issues. We, with concepts like green codes and, and, and livable working wages, um, talk to me a little bit about what you feel progressive, uh, pragmatic progressivism really is. Sure, thank you. And, and I have used that term for a couple of years. And my, my thinking on that is I think I'm the left and I live in the real world. And we have these goals and we have these, these desires and I want very much to have um, a green environment. I want to have obviously a so, uh, economic justice and social justice and racial justice, but we can't do this without bringing all stakeholders into this. And, and, and we have a, a council generally that doesn't want to participate with the stakeholders. So again, I, I think on the left and I live in the real world. And I think that's the pragmatic part of being a progressive, living in the real world, knowing that there's compromise. I, I mean, it happens in all levels of government. We have to compromise. And you know, I think with with, with that that wearing that hat of of, of pragmatic progressivism, you know, I, I I think that there's a misunderstanding perhaps in the use of social justice, especially as it applies here. I look at this particular increase in wage, and I worry about what it means for the city of West Hollywood in terms of leveling the playing field and and bringing in minority businesses. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, I mean, anything that increases the cost of business for anyone increases the cost of business for people we're trying to attract. So it's counterproductive to the goals that have been often stated by the commissions and the council on what we want to do to be business friendly to all. And it's, I think, a very business unfriendly approach to what is termed social justice. There's, there are many things that make up social justice. Economic justice is just one of them. And, and if you could uh, tell city council as they're thinking about this issue for the Monday agenda, anything, what, what would be your, your ask? Stop, listen, study, and then act. Terrific. Thank you, Al. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Have a great day. I love that term, pr a pragmatic progressive. I do too. Keith, that was so interesting to have Alan's perspective. I'm so glad that he was able to join us today and give that viewpoint as a resident. Hello, Tamara. Hey there, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Um, I'd like to introduce everybody to Tamara Keller of the Sachs Agency. Tamara, tell us a little bit about um, your agency and your recent experience and having to uh, come to West Hollywood from outside our borders. Yeah, of course. Well, first, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Tamara Keller, CEO and managing partner of the Sachs Agency. We are a full service uh, advertising and marketing agency uh, currently located in the Pacific Design Center which uh, the funny story here is that our, we, our office is currently located in the Pacific Design Center Red Building, a WeWork location. And we were previously located in a WeWork location on La Brea. Unfortunately, because of COVID, a lot of the WeWork locations closed down and uh, we had to choose between a few different locations that we would be moving our lease to. 
And so my business partner and I decided to choose the Pacific Design Center because as everyone knows, it's, it's beautiful and West Hollywood is beautiful. And although it's only four short lights away, we are now, um, our lease is now about three times the expense of the same size office unit that was just three lights away on La Brea. So luckily for us and fortunate for us, given everything happening with the pandemic, we work because of the short notice is currently covering the difference of our rent. However, in February, that lease will be up and we'll be forced to make a decision at that time whether or not we're willing to pay three times of the existing rent of the actual market rate rent, I should say, or you know whether we will move. And I could probably tell you most emphatically now and, and with definite <laughs> with the definite answer that we will probably move out. <laughs> so that that's kind of the the short story of of, of our move into West Hollywood. So uh, you know, with with the understanding that we already have uh, a some significantly higher costs in terms of the basic cost structures of running a business, the city council is proposing on uh, Monday's agenda a minimum wage increase to seventeen dollars and sixty four cents effective July first of twenty twenty two. Now understand that currently we're at fourteen dollars an hour, along with the county, we'll be at fifteen dollars an hour Jan one. But that increase to seventeen sixty four number one is about a thirty percent increase in a six month period, and it also makes us higher than. You know, we're 1.9 square miles. It makes us higher than everyone surrounding us, the immediately adjacent areas. Your perspective is a minority-owned business and understanding that, you know, we, we came into uh, the past two years with a really strong mandate to really focus on attracting LGBT businesses and minority-owned businesses. What impact do you think this will have on that? Tremendous impact. I mean, you. this is a complete stark contrast to other COVID relief efforts that are happening all across the city. For instance, the mayor just announced the Comeback LA grants where all small businesses are about to, you know, all the small businesses have the opportunity to apply for a, another stipend to help get businesses back on their feet. I mean, you guys probably know the percentages even better than I do, but a very large part of minority owned businesses are service-based businesses that are not able to handle anything like a pandemic, let alone a massive tax increase that would happen from something like a, a minimum wage increase without due notice. It seems very strange that even a small business owner like myself, who's located in the city, who's paying taxes in the city, doesn't get notified that this is happening. Um, I'm sure there are resources that, they, that are posted, but you know these kind of implications have a very, very strong bottom line hit for a business that's operating sometimes project to project or, you know, customer to customer. And so I think that it's, it's very important for council people and council members to know that these small, you know, what seems small to them hits small businesses very, very hard. And, and understanding that, you know, West Hollywood has been uh, over the past many years, a very attractive place for minority business, new businesses to come and sort of test out new concepts, incubate them and expand them out into other cities and other states. Um, but with this kind of, of a mandate of a minimum wage increase, what do you think will be the consideration of, of a minority business that's looking today to open a business, wanting to open in West Hollywood, what will this do to their thought process? 
I think that it would remove West Hollywood. If I'm just being frank here, I think it would remove West Hollywood as the city as a contender on the table. I have to tell you, this is a small business who this year we're finally going to get hit the $1 million mark in revenue. I'm also not willing to pay for a rent increase of three times just to be three lights away. I think that West Hollywood is a tremendous place to incubate certain businesses. However, when a business is starting, the number one thing that they have to think about are the basics, right? What is the rent? What is the taxes? What are those hard costs that you cannot get around as a business owner? And so the, you know, a smart business is going to situate themselves in a location that is viable for them to both, yes, garner attractive customers, which is what West Hollywood brings, but also not have to take all of that revenue and turn it right back around and pay rent and the, the mandatory expenses that are required of a small business. It, it seems to me having a $17.64 labor cost when every, everyone around us has a $15 labor cost is in essence building a bit of a wall around West Hollywood that would make it uh, a place that only big corporations with deep pockets or wealthy white guys with deep pockets can do business. I don't think you would say it seems like it is. And I think we all know that a wall is a very sensitive subject still in, in America. And so, you know, there, there's, this, there's this idea of lip service versus actual acts of service. And I think that in theory, everyone wants to say that they want to bring a diverse set of businesses to an area because that's what's attractive and, you know, just to be transparent, that's what's popular right now. However, when you do or you put in place small measures or actually not small, this is a large measure of something as significant of a, a minimum wage increase that's not being done anywhere around the local vicinity other than this small two mile radius, it seems that it's a an implicit way of keeping certain businesses out of West Hollywood. Uh, well, thank you uh, for joining us and, and best of luck as you make your, your decisions. I, I hope we'll be able to keep you in West Hollywood. I think you're a, a pretty spectacular success story and I wish you all success in the future. You're exactly the kind of business that um, reflects well on West Hollywood and our ability to incubate new kinds of businesses and new creative concepts and your success here speaks to uh, the importance of, of having your kinds of businesses here. And I wish you all the success in the future. Thank you and thank you for having me and thank you for having this conversation. It's an important one, so thank you. Thank you, Tamara. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That concludes the end of our guest interviews. Keith, wow, just so many great voices out there and different perspectives from Tara as a very small business owner to Jeff is um, running the London Hotel over there. Um, such an incredible uh, discussion uh, of the impact of what's going on and the possible impact of what could happen. We, you know, Tracy, we are we are so lucky to have this incredible business community that that has such compassion and empathy and and supports these concepts like green codes and practices and living working wages. You know, this this conversation today was was not about an opposition to the concept of an increase in minimum wage or livable workforce wages, but it was an expression of the deep concerns over the timing and impl implementation of the proposed increases. 
without recognition of the current struggles that these businesses are trying to recover from, from all that they've been through in the past two years, from the pandemic, from the protests, from all of the additional costs they've incurred. Um, you know, it, it's, it's frightening to think that something that, that a minimum wage increase this abrupt and this large could have the kind of impact that would result in our community losing so many important legacy businesses and would result in our residents having to pay such higher costs for the goods and services that they procur in this town. Um, really, really hope that the council will hear these pleas um, and come up with a better plan for the successful implementation of an increase that will lead to better workforce livable wages. Yeah, and this is a very, very, very timely conversation. The conversation is happening Monday, November 1st at the city council meeting. Um, so please, this is a special edition. Keith, how can, how can folks get involved and be part of the conversation and, and follow this? So one way that you can become involved is to speak up at the city council meeting. And in order to do that, you just need to send an email to mcrowder at weho.org no later than two o'clock on November 1st to be added to the meeting's public speaker list. That's M-C-R-O-W-D-E-R -E at weho.org and it's item 4A. And again, please draft a quick letter encouraging council to take the time to study, to listen, and to consider uh, another plan for implementation of this minimum wage increase that is not quite so abrupt and so fast, and send those letters to council at weho.org. Show up, speak, because if, if they don't hear the voices, uh, then, then they don't believe that it's uh, really a, a concern. Um, we know that uh, the Unite here uh, group who is putting forth this ordinance will be there in great numbers. Um, we need to have numbers there as well. Okay, Keith. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for helping put together such a great panel of voices. And thank you for helping to uh, get the concerns heard and for supporting our business community here in West Hollywood. Thank you. Mm -hmm.